4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Andrew, Andrew, what are you doing? Oh, hey, Marn. Uh, so I'm playing through an alternate reality game, and there's a number station puzzle that we just can't solve. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I tried everything else, and I figured that the best way to solve it would be to get into its head and think like a number station. I've been saying numbers into microphones for hours. Okay, well, I, I think I have a better idea. What's that? You could just listen to the Argonauts podcast. Every two weeks, I could let you know the ins and outs of old args and give you a deep dive on how they were created. Uh, do you think we could like have a nuanced discussion about game-making philosophy and how cultures around games have changed as well? Yeah, and you can definitely continue to fail to solve old args along the way. Well, it sure would be cool if that was a podcast you could find to bung with a bunch of other great shows over on the Moonshot Network. You know, it sure would. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for the invite. Uh, anyways, I'm going to get back to this, though. 23. 19. Okay. to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all but the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're finishing The Blood of Olympus. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm doing good. I've come fully equipped for this landmark episode. Uh, I brought my microphone uh, and no pop filter because I couldn't find it. I I realized while editing the other day that I thought my microphone had a built-in pop filter. I don't. I think it might have been lying, uh, so <laughs> I, because I I heard some pretty pop and peas the other day. I was I said Percy Jackson, and it really just made the the puh puh was pretty bad there. So I'm, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, and I just did it again too without a pop filter. So I'm sure that'll be awesome for the listeners. <laughs> we're, we're both gonna we're both gonna be really hitting the P on Percy Jackson. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll fix that soon. Uh, Can you not just attach the the pop filter from your old microphone to the uh, the new one? That's pretty smart. Many people say this about me, unless it comes <laughs> to finding my own pop filter, in which case I'm very dumb and can't do it. I'll, I'll ship you a sock, uh, and you Thank can use you. that. <laughs> how are you, how are you doing today, Jacqueline? Uh, I am doing okay. I'm finally feeling on the mend after my devastating uh, illness. Listeners, Jacqueline has been dying of COVID. I have been. Uh, there's a, we took a we took the bonus episode off this week. Uh, we almost didn't record this one. Kind of, or we we it, we're doing this one a bit late because I, my throat was dying. My throat's better now. Uh, it's Yay. it's definitely not full of tears and mucus after watching a beloved tv finale <laughs> it's it's a day of finales for you that's right that's right that's right and i'm ready to go on this one so how about i unless you have anything else to say how about i jump right into the summaries go for it chapter 53 nico when he had been fighting side by side with jason nico was called away by will for a very important reason octavian was moving as Gaia arose, the corrupt Augur was attempting to set up an onager that he would fire at the Earth Incarnate, an attempt to destroy her in one shot and prove himself the savior of Rome. Too busy boasting, though, he doesn't notice the onager's payload begin to attract the Imperial Gold in his armor, or his robes getting tangled inside the weapon's mechanisms. There's a chance for him when Michael Kahale arrives, freshly woken from unconsciousness. 
But Michael takes one look at the situation and doesn't say a word to stop him from firing. As everyone watches, Octavian launches himself into the sky like a burning comet. Chapter 54, Nico. In the days after the battle, Nico busies himself with overseeing burial rites for the fallen campers. Much easier than having to talk to his friends, or Will Solace. Still, the crew of the Argo 2 eventually do gather to mourn Leo, learning in the process about the trick Hazel and Frank helped him pull with the fake physician's cure. They have some hope he could still be alive, but Nico knows for sure that he felt it when Leo died. On the second day, the wounded continue to recover, while the Roman and Greek forces finally let themselves mingle. Chuck Head shows off his new baby Chuck, and Chiron leads everyone in a campfire celebration of victory. Raina and Frank also speak at the fire that night, declaring that they've made an agreement with Chiron to initiate a free exchange between Camp Jupiter and Camp Half-Blood, so young demigods may all visit, train, come to one another's aid, and, of course, party together. She grabs Nico's hand and pulls him from the shadows into the light of the fire, and declares that they now have two homes instead of one. Chapter 55, Nico. After the bonfire, Nico and Hazel head to Hades' cabin for bed. Frank comes by to chat with Hazel, boyfriend and a girlfriend, for a while, and Nico is nice enough to bless the relationship and tell Frank he foresees many more adventures ahead in his future. After Frank leaves, they sit on Nico's bunk and finally talk about how they'll miss each other, about how they've each made use of their second chances at life, and then about Leo. Hazel breaks out about not being able to be there to help him, and Nico comforts her until she falls asleep. Then, he tucks her into her own bed, goes to the Shrine of Hades, and prays for guidance for the first time. Chapter 56, Nico. Nico doesn't sleep. When dawn comes, Jason knocks at his door and brings him out into the light of day to talk. They discuss Jason's plans to work on appeasing the gods as Pontifex Maximus, how Nico again certainly felt Leo die, and the future of the Sibylline books, namely that Ella the Harpy, Tyson, and Rachel Elizabeth Dare are all going to leave with the Romans to try and reconstruct them. With the voice of Delphi still gone, it could be the only way they get prophecies from now on. Jason also starts to try and convince Nico he shouldn't leave camp, but Nico cuts him off. Turns out he's already decided to stick around. They hug, Jason enthusiastic to continue seeing Nico in his life, but their conversation ends when Nico sees Will Solace gesturing for him to come to Apollo Cabin. Will chews him out about not coming to help out around the infirmary, or even just to say hi, then demands he gets three days of rest starting now. The butterflies in Nico's stomach lead him to agree. Before that can start, though, there's still one more conversation Nico knows he has to have. He walks over to Percy and Annabeth, who've talked out and decided to spend the senior year together in New York, then go to college together in New Rome. After that, they've been granted permission by the Praetors to stay as long as they like. Nico congratulates them and then takes a long look at Percy before calmly admitting he had a crush, but he's over it now. Percy's just not really his type, and he's very happy for them. Annabeth gives Nico a congratulatory high five, and Percy sputters through the whole thing, but Nico walks back to Will Solace with the weight lifted from his shoulders. Chapter 57, Piper. As Camp gets back into the swing of things, Piper finds herself unable to sleep, instead occupying her time with taking care of her cabin mates, as well as a lot of Greek-Roman conflict resolution. On the day the Romans are about to leave, Rayda finds Piper, fresh off calming down some horny naiads, and they have a heart-to-heart -heart that ends with Piper offering Rayna a place to camp Half-Blood whenever she needs a break, as well as a reassurance that, no matter what Vina says, she will find love, and that Piper especially is going to be here for her. Later, after curfew, Jason sneaks over to bring her to Cabin 1. He wants to show her something he found. 
a ladder up to the cabin's roof, high above where the harpies can get them, and with a view of the whole Long Island Sound. He wants to start their story fresh, without the burden of false memories or gods pushing them around. So he gives her a new first kiss, and they say they love each other. Sadly, their sweet conversation turns bitter as their thoughts turn to Leo. They want to believe he can still be out there, but despite everything they've been told, their amazing friend could have found some contraption or loophole to escape even death. And so they tell each other stories until daybreak about Leo. Chapter 58. Leo. Leo Valdez is dead until he isn't. Flying atop Festus, he's trapped inside of his own unmoving body, and capable of doing anything other than feeling the pain of death. Until Festus injects him with the cure, bringing him back almost all at once. He immediately scans the dragon for damage, of which there's a ton, and so he knows they've got to land soon. But where are they? Well, when Leo looks at the navigation tools, they've gone completely on the fritz. Perfect. Festus flummets down toward Ogigia, and Leo makes a typical Leo entrance, uh, getting tossed right off his buddy's back and face first into the sand. Calypso chides him for being late and ruining the clothes she made him, helps him up, and then kisses him. She's already packed. They're going to leave together, and she's never coming back. Neither of them have any idea how long it's been since he was last there, or if she'll still be immortal once she leaves, but at this point, they don't care. Leo, Calypso, and Festus fly off to nowhere. So, Jane, what do you think about these chapters and the end of Blood of Olympus? Uh, uh, mm, it, it was okay. Oh, I, I sense so much disappointment in your voice. Yeah, that truly is. What did you Are think? You... What did you think of this? It was fine. <laughs> I, I, it was, I thought it was, you know, it was good. Well, what's here is adequate. I did, did we mess this up for ourselves? Is this our fault? Maybe. I don't see, I don't see how we could have. I don't know. Did we, did we build false expectations of what this series was? Is this? I, I think Rick Ryan built false uh, expectations about what this series was. Mm-hmm. Because this, a lot of these, this last set of chapters is him deferring payoffs to stuff he set off, in, set up into Trials of Apollo. <laughs> That's really, yeah, this, uh, in a lot of ways, this doesn't feel like the end of, you know, it feels like the end of, like, you know, when you're reading, like, the sequel to something, like, this feels like book two, when the author had this trilogy <laughs> in mind, but extending that, yeah. extending that out to a whole series, like, which is really weird. I don't want to say that this is, like, the sea of monsters of, of, uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> book of, of book series but I, I think maybe that is like the real problem is that rick riordan has like this like long haul plan now for a whole not a whole another five books and so he doesn't feel like he needs to resolve things in that way and i understand why you would kind of go in that direction because like but, you know, this series is becoming more and more heavily serialized as it goes to the point where like tries of apollo just seems like it's going to be like an extension of heroes of olympus at the same time, it is a set of books called Heroes of Olympus, and it makes that set of five books feel quite weak to not really have any of this stuff pay off within it. That's the problem. I, there, there are strong elements here. There's there's some strong stuff, but... There's bits I over, like. 
Yeah, yeah, well, you know, and I want to I want to highlight those. And I think like I think next episode when we do our like Heroes of Olympus wrap up, I think mm. we'll have a ton of I'm predicting what episode I had. We'll have a ton of positive stuff to say about these books. But yeah, definitely. For now, man, I oh, I think last episode I was writing a high um because I was <laughs> expecting some big thing in the final six chapters. Yeah. I wasn't riding a high, but I was also expecting something more than this. I don't know. It rather, it didn't go out with a bang, which is fine, but it goes out with sort of a... Would you call this like a repeat of just how Percy Jackson and the Olympians ended? It does feel a lot like that, doesn't it? It just kind of feels like the end of Last Olympian, but less impactful. They're like... We get we get the big like love resolutions. We get the big uh, we get several of those. We get status quo shifts in like the greater god politics of like mm-hmm. before it was you know we'll recognize all the gods you know supposedly this time it's you know the Romans and Greeks will uh, will have this free exchange and the, I, the, like on their own those are all great resolutions mm-hmm. I think um, like these but they don't build to anything more. If I that think, makes sense. I think there's also like a fairly major difference where like Percy Jackson and the Olympians set up a lot of like problems with the Greek gods and like the resolution didn't resolve all of those problems, but it was like a big shift that like kind of uh kind of dealt with a lot of them. Whereas the end of Heroes of Olympus, the most acknowledgement that we get of that is like there's a feast and when someone says to the gods, everyone's a bit like, Oh, those assholes. And that's it. There's there's nothing more substantive than that in terms of like problems the gods have. Yeah. And I, I think my big problem is just, again, it feels like that is going to be a big conflict, but Rick's decided it doesn't belong in the series. Which um, is insane given, again, like we keep going back to this, but like the resolution to Percy's arc and Mark of Athena, not putting that in this series is nuts. Yeah. In, instead, we get our series of more personal resolutions. And that's that sort of goes along with what we had last time. And it, I guess we can interpret that as like, that's just what this book is doing as a wrap up rather than delving into those deeper themes, I guess, of like the, the grander worldscape. It reminds me quite a lot of, um, I won't go into specifics, but like the ending of The Witch from Mercury. Uh-huh. Where it's kind of like, you have a lot of like, thematic stuff in that series and like a lot of stuff that could be taken a lot further and with a lot more potential than was really paid off and that's kind of brushed aside to just focus on the characters in the finale with the difference being that i like the characters in which from mercury a hell of a lot more than i like the characters in this so it worked better there for me let's let's talk positive let's talk positive because i think we need to focus on these character beats at first yes Um, because I, i i think a lot of them do work well some of them like you said they just have not been set up properly should we just start with nico right away nico i think has gotten out the best out of uh most of the characters in this book i think there's i think that's definitely true that the final bit with him coming out to percy and annabeth is really really good it's i i I love that um this is the first time that Percy is hearing about any of this, and Nico essentially just delivers a fucking drive-by. Yeah, he <laughs> fucking scrambles Percy's brain like they are so many hor- uh, seahorse eggs. He he scrambles the seahorse eggs, uh, and I love that Annabeth high fives him. Yeah, that's awesome. I that's Annabeth it's, is so funny for that. 
it, it makes for a really funny scene and i like that it just immediately sidesteps the idea of there being any kind of like awkward tension over this yeah the, the i want to talk about this high five <laughs> i've never <laughs> high-fived anyone when they've maybe i just haven't had enough people come out to me in my life yet i've never high-fived anyone when they've come out uh, and <laughs> me, i think it's just the specific like i think it's specifically like annabeth as like Percy's current girlfriend, there's a simultaneous thing of like, oh nice, we both had a crush on the same guy. And like Annabeth like doing this big ally move of like, hell yeah, Nico, <laughs> it's awesome that you're gay. High five. Uh yeah. I also I like that this I like that this seems to be setting up a tradition for this uh kind of this whole series of books. Uh-huh. Uh, which is that in in the finale, Percy uh will be rejected. Uh-huh. Well, like so, someone who had romantic interest in him will tell him to fuck off. I do like that. I, I really, <laughs> I like that. I mm, so much of Nico's thing throughout the series has been him torturing himself by having this crush. Mm. Uh, so to be able to just be like, walk up to Percy, straight up say, "Hey, I had a crush on you." Just clearing the air because we'll be living together for like another another year. Uh, also, you're not really my type anymore, man. Uh, <laughs> that's. That's a big growth. That's this is this is well done coming of age stuff. Neat Nico is learning to fucking communicate with people, and it's nice. Yeah. I also speaking of Nico learning to communicate with other people, uh, I'm I'm really enjoying his chemistry with uh, Will Solace so far. I know I was complaining a bit about that last episode, like like it hadn't been really set up before, but I like what we've got here right now. I agree. I will immediately fucking tearing into Nico is so funny. <laughs> Just like, hey, you asshole! You've been like watching from across the street as I have to take care of all these guys. You're doing nothing. Uh, could you like help me? Nico was like, I was, I was brooding mournfully. What are you talking about? And Will is like, I could you fucking help me with this, please? He's like, could you at least mourn, like mourn in a like hospital bed so you can heal, you <laughs> asshole? <laughs> Rick Riordan, we said it before, but he's just good at writing this kind of dynamic. Uh, he's, we we did, but God, he's good at writing this kind of dynamic. I I was as as ever with Rick Riordan, I was worried that he was going to fumble this and it would be like really like painfully written because he's an old cishet dude. Yeah, but he he's stuck to what he's good at with these romances and just kind of applied it to what if it was two boys instead, uh, and it's yeah. working. And I think that's that's like he understands that like for this kind of popular fiction, um, like popular fiction, possibly someone's first uh, ever exposure to like a gay relationship in fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there is a degree of usefulness to being like there's human beings who have a relationship in the way human beings do you know uh uh-huh, yeah for sure because these are kids books as well yeah and just being able to kind of present it in a like in a way that you can very easily draw parallels to like Percy and Annabeth's relationship which is like presented very positively by the series and is like yeah absolutely absolutely before we go back Nico there's more to talk about with Nico but Mm-hmm. There's another uh, set of characters who get out really well here. Oh, uh, the Stoll brothers. Who I <laughs> I think I thought that one of them died. I, no, it they... was one. It was one of the uh, brothers who were like Dionysus' kids that died. 
oh, every single time I see the Stoll brothers and the other one also appears, I'm like jump scared. I, I, <laughs> as soon as they're both like not both on screen, I think, wow, it's so sad. These twins have had like their other half destroyed. It's so sad that Travis and or Connor Stoll died. <laughs> and then the other comes back in with a fucking Dakota provided Kool-Aid packet filled with <laughs> amphetamines, presumably. <laughs> Apparently, they, they one of the offhand lines one of the store brothers says is like, "What do you mean we set the landmines on the wrong hill?" And I like to think that like a lot of the casualties that were mentioned later were like their own troops blundering onto the landmines they accidentally put there. Oh, all the the many many casualties that Rick Riordan <laughs> that Rick Riordan describes, uh, such as our beloved character, our, fa- our favorite boy, and our other beloved character. Less less beloved character, Leo Valdez. Oh, okay. Not, oh. not as good as our, our hero, Octavian. Oh, our hero, Octavian. I was making a joke about how no-name characters died, but you're... <laughs> you're right. Octavian no, did die. I, I know what you... I, I, I think we could have done with a couple more, like, named uh, hero characters dying, but whatever. It's an improvement over Son of Neptune, at least. And I will say, we're going to get to the Leo thing... I'm actually happier with how that came out than I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Octave, but we should talk about Octavian because he dies in the funniest way possible. It's a big week for guys who attempted to do coups dying in catastrophic midair explosions. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> You're right. You're right about that. Uh, but yeah, this this scene is so fucking good. It's it's funny, and I I like that it's finally some like proper Roman politicking. Yeah. Like, what? what is more Roman than your bodyguard getting sick of your shit and letting you kill yourself? That's exactly it. <laughs> I, I love that Octavian is completely fucking undone by the fact that he's treated everyone around him like shit. Like, yeah. it, it's, it, it's such a simple thing, but if he had just, like, treated Michael Kahale better, he might have gotten through this alive. He might have, Michael might have, like, taken two steps to the side, cut the bit of the robe that was trapped in the catapult, and then killed Nico. Yeah, or like Octavian could have actually gone through this, shot a probably useless onager fireball thing at Gaia, and then still come out at the, on the other end as some sort of hero, right? He would have mm-hmm. had some like favor within. He would have had an ability to maneuver within like the new Rome politics space. Still, not so yeah. much now. <laughs> no, I the the only place that he can maneuver is like along gusts of wind as the atomized remains of his body are fucking blown into the distance. I think the funniest thing in the world would have been if he had if they had been like and in the sky we saw a new constellation. Oh wait, no, that's sorry, that's just his <laughs> particles burning up in the sky. <laughs> I, I I love also um I love that Hazel later on is talking about like, oh, it's such a shame that Leo died alone up there when we know for a fact that he didn't. Because uh-huh. Nico notes that Octavian is still screaming when he's like launched by the catapult, Nico which means Le- that, which means that he died in the explosion. Nico and Leo died together. No, they, they- didn't. Octavian and Leo died together. <laughs> uh, and that's so funny to me <laughs> because, like, the fact that Leo and Octavian are the sacrifice <laughs> that had to happen. <laughs> to like stop this war i feel like that there there is a way you can read it where it's like this series is like characterized the greeks and the romans in very particular ways where it's like 
you know, the Greeks are like the the wacky individual heroes who run around doing their own thing, which is definitely what Leo is doing in this final battle. And then the Romans, you know, they're the military might and political bullshit people. And, you know, the big uh, piece of military equipment and political bullshit is how Octavian ends up in that situation. So really it's the union between the two camps that killed Gaia. More directly, <laughs> they had to they had to kill the people who started the fucking Greek and Roman War because Leo fired the catapult and Octavian uh, made it go from there. <laughs> they just had to like sacrifice the ones who got us into the part of this whole mess, and then it was all fine. God, yeah. I I also just I lo- I love the 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 message we're taking away from this is that Nico is just stone cold and will kill people. Because he seemed to be like, oh, I'll only do it this one time to Bryce a few chapters ago. But, like, before Octavian managed to accidentally kill himself, Nico was fully intending to just stab him. Yeah, I'm glad we go a bit messy with that, too. Like, Nico doesn't end this with, like, a big resolution about how actually he was fine. Nobody, like, comforts him about it. He still has some, like, personal... Like, he's like, I guess I am a monster for that. Like, he doesn't really resolve that at the end, and I kind of like that. Yeah, I like I like that even though Octavian absolutely had it coming, it's still like something that's gonna weigh on him because he fucking killed a dude. He broke his oath, right? He broke his own oath. He was like, yeah. I never I never want to kill a demigod again, and then he kinda did. Um I, I would say that you could at least nail Nico for manslaughter on this one, if not outright probably, murder. Probably. This was probably you could probably call this like conspiracy. is there such a thing as conspiracy to manslaughter? Because all the people <laughs> around him could probably be, you know, tried in Roman court for that. I I mean Will probably could could get off alright because he at least tried to stop it. Yeah, you're, pro- you're probably right. You're probably right. I, and and Nico of course immediately goes back into his classic, like he's gonna think I'm a monster now. Like I <laughs> I I, I but also, but this time he's like not even planning on leaving camp, so he's just like, I am going to be the monster that lives in the lives inside of Hades' cabin. I'm gonna get in this fucking coffin. I'm gonna live in this coffin now. Who decorates this place? If it's not the ca- the cabins that choose how to decorate their own cabin, then who decorates? Well, nobody lived in the Hades cabin, so like, I... so they someone was just like, oh, it'd be funny if we put a coffin in there because they're kind of like vampires, haha. But wait, was there even a Hades cabin until uh, in the last series? Uh, I don't think there was, no. Because he wasn't an Olympian. At that point, technically, Nico could have been consulted. He could have been consulted, but I guess maybe at that point he'd, like, fucked off to Camp Jupiter. That's possible. I, so, who, I, was it Aphrodite cabin? Who, who's the interior? no, it, it would have been Annabeth. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's funny. I, you, I like the so they do the they do the architecture and the interior design. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I I want to know like I want the mini series like the the book that's about Annabeth designing all this shit. <laughs> Maybe she outsourced some of it. She's like nobody lives in the Hades cabin, so who cares? Just get the Stoll brothers to do it. <laughs> She gives it to the youngest Athena cabin member, or whatever. like here. This is your this you this be, can be your personal project. This is your quest. She did it to make Nico stop having that obvious crush on her. <laughs> yeah. If I fuck up the inside of the cabin enough, he'll stop having this weird crush on me, and keep staring at me whenever I'm on a date with Percy. God. Or actually staring slightly to the left of me whenever I'm on a date with Percy. I wonder what that's about. 
<laughs> he must be autistic. He's hard, he has a hard time <laughs> with eye contact. I mean, also probably true, I think. Also definitely true. I have a question for you about a- another person and their ultimate fate. Uh-huh. Before, before I think we again probably go back to Nico because there's a lot to talk about with Nico here. Nico has uh, the most chapters. The, the the character of the planet Earth yeah, uh, being basically fine. So Gaia is like, she she gets chronosed basically. It's the same shit that happened to Kronos where they're like, oh, well, she didn't die, but her particles were dispersed so much that she can never form a consciousness again. But the Earth is fine also. Why? Which I guess, I guess kind of tracks with the last series because it's not like time stopped working when Kronos died. Sure, and it's not like the and the the sky is still a thing, even though Uranus mm-hmm. is dead. But like, what was the point? <laughs> <laughs> I I think this this like this supports the reading that like the the gods are not like actual like embodiments of these like um, physical things, but are instead just like you know kind of parasitic representations created by human worship. If that's true, and I agree with you, but also, why has so much of the series been, like, little reports of, like, Grover and his nature task squad have had to go f- help nature? Like, we've had to, like, all the, all the naiads are acting weird. All the, all the, uh, all the fucking nature spirits are being strange. I guess part of me just wants this to be, we talked about this last time, part of me wants Gaia to be more than a character with a health bar, yeah. like you said. <laughs> And in the end, she just was not... The only form of existential threat she was didn't have to do with, like, the fate of the Earth other than she was going to, like, kill all humans. That was all that there was. If she was alive, she could earthbend the Earth to crush everyone. Instead, she's dead and it's fine. Yeah. There's there's just something weaselly about it, I guess, to me. I feel like there's there's something to be said about the fact that no, no like commentary is being made on the idea that Western civilization killed the representation of Earth and nature. Yeah. The... <laughs> I feel like you you could you could do something with that maybe, Rick. And the fact that he doesn't really just says it all about this series, <laughs> you know, like po- the podcast over. <laughs> this is this is I'm I'm the, the the parasitic god thing is pretty much the only thing we can salvage from this. I... <sighs> god and i i don't think this is like awful i think it's fine i just think it makes for a week like i think it makes the series a bit weaker for not having a damned if you i i I think when you make your big opponent the representation of the planet earth and also your first series was also had a big undercurrent of like environmentalism um you're kind of a coward for not like asking the question of what happens when you kill the earth uh like and i uh-huh. i feel like this is a situation where you would want to be like there, there is a we find a different way to resolve this other than like just hitting it until it dies you know this is why i'm kind of surprised it ended up that way like i i assumed piper would put her back to sleep forever yeah. or something or that like I don't know. I don't know what I thought would happen. She would give up. Something that is more than they are hitting her over and over again with fire and lightning until she is dispersed, not dead, so she can still be the earth, but dispersed so she can no longer hold a consciousness. There's something almost like incredibly fucked up about that to me. Like, 
we can't convince this great person of anything or we can't change their mind. We just have to kill them until they're dead. I I also I also think it's kind of bleak that uh one of the things that Piper brings up is that like, oh yeah, Oranos, your husband, was like abusive and he kinda of took away your agency and stuff like that. And then the conclusion to Gaia's arc is that her agency is taken away and she's just like un- unthinkingly and with no consciousness the world that people live on and like and, exploit. And I think there's a reading of this that at this point I can't hold anymore. I think we talked about Gaia as like eco-fascism at points. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think this, I, I think the this book pretty firmly stops that. Yeah. Um, and I think that ended pretty early in this series, in fact. Um, Gaia stops being a character in this book, I think. Like, yeah, Gaia was to a degree a character to the extent that, like, Kronos was a character in mm. Percy Jackson and the Olympians for a few books. By the end, by this, the, by, by Blood of Olympus, and then at the, this is sort of our wrap up episode for the book as well. I think that's how yeah. we usually do it. So I'm going to talk sort of broadly about it. By Blood of Olympus, she's less of a character and more of just a receptacle for, like, ideas to be put into. She she is just, like, an obstacle that needs to be overcome for the plot to end. She's a big sword. They're fighting over the fate of a big sword. The giants have a big sword that they're trying to use. And it's... They they have an atomic bomb. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and at the end, they, they dismantle the atomic bomb, I guess, is what happens, is what this is supposed to be. You know what I've also just realized? What's that? It's only just now hit me that this has been like completely missing from this book. And I think actually the last couple is like early on we would see a lot of Gaia as like infiltrating people's dreams and like lying to them and trying to manipulate them and stuff. And that just completely stopped. You're right. I I don't know why that is. Which yeah, think- that, that was the only way we got any fucking FaceTime with the villain. It's frustrating because is it Mark of Athena we really liked Mark of Athena and we really liked House of Hades are those books the, is it, it did it happen there was that the turning point where I think like, yeah I think it stopped after Son of Neptune that, I can't remember I, it happening after that I think like there might have been a couple of instances but I don't think it was ever to the same extent and I wonder why that is is it because like Rick felt like that was set up and he didn't need to do that anymore. Uh, like, I I don't really understand. It just seems like a bad choice to me, to me to make to background your major villain to that extent. Who was who already was kind of like I think we were saying early in Heroes almost that she kind of felt like a bit of a weaker, less intimidating villain than Kronos. Where Kronos was this like he had like a very creepy description about him. He was very intimidating, and he had like this whole like. He, he genuinely, in the way that he acted, came across as, like, a fucking 4D chess master who was actually always one step ahead of the characters in a way that Gaia just never was. No. the, And you don't have to make that what Gaia is, right? I think yeah. there were instances... There were things that could have made Gaia shine a lot more. The fact that she was bringing back... This is another thread that sort of got dropped, or at least wasn't as, like, talked about as the series went on. Like, how she was bringing up all the, like, uh, mortal uh, evil... From oh yeah ancient greek myth and sort of using them to fight for her i think that and like her manipulation and dreams those are really specific uh points like the fact i think her thing was just like heavy power like she yeah. has po- 
like power of will to like overcome people's desires and like convince people to go along with her and that is as soon as you get her off screen she loses all of that as soon as Mm -hmm. you i i think that really is just the big like point where because some some of the parts where she worked best was like sorry i think listeners my brain is still a little bit hazy uh for sickness but i think some of the parts of the early books where she worked best was like leo like uh his tia right yeah like that well hang on that was that was harrow but well that but it still was stuff to do with gaia right yeah yeah yeah. uh and i think she did appear one time maybe as i no i think you're right but no she she uh, does she did appear like to leo specifically to like get him to kill his mother which is fucked up and that that's why one of the only good moments in the final battle is Leo Leo's fucking uh this is from my mother, right? Yeah. Um all that personal connection goes away as the books go on. I think that I think that I don't know what it was. I what is the problem here? Too much focus on too many characters? I'm not sure. I think it I think it is. It very much feels like like especially in this book it really gets thrown in sharp relief by everything that was going on with Raina is like this series is juggling so many characters and like these these are not short books but it still feels like they are doing too much to really fit everything they need into the page count yeah and i we're kind of doing series overview let's let's table this for now and get that yeah. get back to this maybe next episode but at the end of the day Gaia had a really poor showing in this book yeah definitely i don't think anything with her was resolved satisfyingly yeah she's not a she is less memorable than some individual villains from other books yeah i think that's really sad it is you know what else is sad the coach had named his baby chuck i was yeah literally that was what i was about to say I twigged that wait. as you were reading the summaries. He wait, he fucking named it after Chuck Doris. Yes. <laughs> oh my I didn't even get that until now. I was just like, what a shitty name. Oh my god. Oh my god. Coach Hedge named his baby after Chuck Norris and Melly just let him do that. I surely I have to assume that Melly just doesn't know who Chuck Norris is. And that's why like, she oh, allowed Chuck- that to happen. Oh, Charles, what a nice name. No, no, we have to write down Chuck. It has to be Chuck. Why did Clarice let this happen? Clarice loves Chuck Norris. Are you kidding? <laughs> okay, that's true. Uh, she's the godmother. I think that's great. I, I'm I'm happy for Clarice. I'm glad that she gets this. She's been fucked over in this series. Speaking of characters who've had a bad, a bad showing and haven't shown up nearly as much as they should have. This is this is the Clarice book, if there is a Clarice book, and that's pathetic to say. Yeah, her name is mentioned more than like three times, which I guess makes this the Clarice one. She'd better be in Trials of Apollo. We said this about Heroes of Olympus too, though. We did. Maybe she appears less and less as these go on. Wouldn't that be the fucking worst? What would be the point of doing this podcast? <laughs> Yeah, we, and we get the bit with like, oh, we saved the gods again, and now we're supposed to thank them. Uh, it's 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 trials of Apollo set up. Uh man, I like Reina. Reina here is doing a lot for me. Yeah, Re- Reina. Reina's got some good stuff to do. I like I like 
I like that um, she gets a bit of banter with Annabeth, and I like how it kind of mirrors the, uh, the stuff that Jason and Percy have, where Raina is like up on stage doing that speech, and she's like, oh, us Romans almost killed all of you, and Annabeth is like, no, you almost got killed. And it's <laughs> yeah, literally really just good. the shit that Jason and Percy have been doing about that time they almost killed each other. They're girl-boy friends. <laughs> They're girl-boy friends, actually, I've decided now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I'll, I'll say it for not so sad. But, but I, I like that dynamic. She's having, like, banger dynamics with everyone, pulling Nico up on stage really good. Right, I don't know how this book salvaged Raida for me in the way that it did, but it really, really did. Yeah, this this is, like, a, a late-game comeback for this character, which is kind of impressive given that it's not even her POV. I, I think just, like, we, as we said, this was the stronger side of the novel, the, the, mm-hmm. these three. Yeah, definitely. I just think that her her saying the thing about, like, now we have two homes to Nico, knowing that, like, he feels so lost and knowing about her past, that is really, oh, like, really powerful. Um, mm. That's... That's just like the, these two have been through so much together now. I I want them. I want a scene with them and Chuck. I need I need them like babysitting in the future. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no that that would be good. That'd be good. They can all show off their tat- matching tattoos that they got in Albania or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> I think we said something kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank fr- Frank's final exit from this book is Nico doing the like. Have you played me another devil? You you watched me play We Know the Devil. Right, okay, okay, yeah. We did the voices together, right? Yeah, yeah. Along along with the person who did our cover, Vera, Ainsmith underscore in on Twitter. Oh, yes, that was a wonderful time. Uh, do you, you remember that part in We Know the Devil when uh, uh, so, somebody's like, oh, Venus, you know, acting like... Uh, like such a weird boy or whatever he is nico does uh-huh. that to frank but by being like frank's a good guy or bear or bulldog or and then gets cut off <laughs> oh, what was after that or nico listen nico has the sense for these things this is the gaydar it's, it's the transdar man i like i like the um nico and frank's final interaction in these books is for nico to confirm that his sacrifice at the end of son of neptune was truly meaningless uh-huh he's just like yeah frank you're gonna live a long full and happy life despite the firewood thing you're gonna be absolutely fine don't worry about it it's really kind of funny frank just being like wow the firewood never came up huh <laughs> yeah, that's just, that, he, that, he's just like wow i had this whole thing and i guess it never really mattered that's awesome i, I put it in a fireproof pouch and that fixed it I, it feels it feels like it, frank is playing like an immersive sim or something uh, and he's like he accidentally found like the password for a really important late game computer to let him skip like four missions or something <laughs> <laughs> oh you're right you're right Oh, Ed, Rick Riordan is never going to get a second chance to write this series, unlike Nico and uh, Hazel, who got their second chances, I guess. I guess. I I so wish that we had gotten more Nico and Hazel stuff in this series. This kind of feels like the first time they've talked, which I know is probably not true, but... But it feels like Rick Riordan is cramming all the possible, like, ideas that they could talk about into this one conversation. Uh-huh. It's, it's like, hey, Nico... Isn't it interesting how we both gotten a second chance at life? Nico's like, "Yep, you done a good job at it, Hazel. Bye." And Hazel's like, "Yep, <laughs> goodbye." And that's 
yeah, that that's a cool, like, if we had seen a series of conversations with these characters where they, like... This would be a great payoff to their relationship if they had one. Yeah, that that's pretty much the end of it. Uh, fucking sad. Hazel. Yeah, I, I'm going to say it. Hey, if Hazel doesn't come back in a big way in Trials of Apollo, I'm going to be mad. Yeah, Hazel. Hazel's not been... I, I'd heard some stuff about how Hazel gets treated in this series, and I was worried that she was going to get, like, absolutely shafted. And it wasn't as bad as I was fearing. She at least gets a little bit of focus in uh, House of Hades with, like, her magician arc and stuff. But, man, I, I feel like there there is a lot more you could do with the character. Yeah. And the problem is, because nothing comes of it, except for that moment in the final battle, it makes the magician arc feel like we read filler. God, it does a little bit. Like, yeah, it was needed to, like, resolve the conflict in that book, and then it only comes up as, like, a blink and you'll miss a detail after that. It's frustrating. Jason and Nico, we coming back to Nico, Jason and Nico's interaction is one of my favorite here. J- Jason truly is the ultimate ally. He really is. <laughs> like, and Nico has, like, really taken a shine to him. I love that he, like, notices Jason's glasses aren't on right, and so he, like, has the urge to adjust them. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. Yeah. They hug. Jason's super happy. He's like, look, we're going to play Capture the Flag together and and go and do sing-along contests together, and, oh, we can, all, we can always eat dinner together because we're alone in our cabins. <laughs> Listen, J- Jason's just happy to have someone else around who fucking understands being a kid of the big three. Oh, definitely. Man. Because he doesn't have a sister. I, yeah, I was just about to fucking say, because Thalia doesn't come back at all. Still doesn't interact with Jason. What the fuck? Lord in heaven. <laughs> there, there is... I, I feel it's a bad sign that we're, re- this, we're talking about so much of this and being like, I hope this gets fixed in Trials of Apollo. That's because Rick wrote this to make us say that. Yep. Which I guess is one way to get us to keep reading. I fucking guess so, and that's kind of... <laughs> my rebellious instinct is like... I, I've, I've said this a few too many times. I'm going to say it one last time and then stop because it's a joke. I'm like, all right, no more podcasts for you, Rick Riordan. You've, you've lost your privileges. <laughs> we'll switch to doing animorphs. Fuck it. I'm, I'm sure that... Fucking! I almost said Casey Green. That's not right. Uh, I'm sure the Ka Applegate won't disappoint us. <laughs> We've got the connective tissue there already. Frank is an animorph. <laughs> That's right. Um, and I, I really do like this bit. And do you? Hey, do you think that maybe Nico hasn't developed so much after all? And instead of um having a crush on the first guy who showed some kindness to him he's now just developed a crush on the second guy who showed some kindness to him but he was like that's a little bit too close right now so i have to find another guy who's blonde and wears <laughs> and like looks kind of like that <laughs> i think it's very possible that nico just has a type i think that's very possible <laughs> uh but I, I it really is funny that like as this starts nico is like Oh, and I was... Will was at the... No, it was just Jason, actually. Damn, they look so similar. <laughs> I'm sure that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of setup here. Ella, Tyson, and Rachel going off to do the sibling stuff. That's all. That all every single time I read it is like, yep, I'm sure that'll come up in Trials of Apollo. It's so funny how the Sibylline books were like meant to be a major thing in Son of Neptune, and then just don't matter until Trials of Apollo. Uh huh. Uh huh. And Ella, the fucking whoa. Oh, Ella. Rick, what are you doing to me? I uh, man, there's an. There's like a slightly, I like all the characters here, but I'm doing my rewrite anyway. There's an alternate universe where this series is about like picking up the heroes of Olympus as the road trip goes on. Like we start with two of them and like, then we like, we learn about the Roman camps. We get some Romans, we meet Ella and like Ella's a hero of Olympus. I don't know. Some shit like that. Like that does sound cool. Will does the you come now thing though. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) <laughs> do you know that gif that classic tumblr gif i don't think i do there's a famous gif on tumblr there are several of those it's this gif posted with the caption you come now <laughs> oh yes i do know about this one and, and there's a huge uh huger blog see your chain of like oh my god this actually made me bite my lip stammers gets up falls out of bed yes sir right right like <laughs> shit close my legs and dear lordy lord like it, it, it's this series of things uh and will literally like it's it does the like he pointed at the ground and was like you cut like it, literally the exact same thing god fuck I mean, Rick Ryden has to be somewhat aware of online culture to be making all these awful Chuck Norris references, so it's not impossible that this was on purpose. You think one of Rick's kids showed him you come now? <laughs> God, I hope not. I hope not. Uh, and I we, think, we I think this talked... is what Rick has a side blog for. <laughs> Jesus. And we sort of <laughs> talked about how their interaction goes, and then... Nico, after swearing on the river sticks that he will immediately come back, which I think is kind of dangerous because what if something happens? Yeah, what if he like trips and bonks his head on something? Yeah, then his soul gets damned forever. <laughs> so, uh, da- Dad, I, 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 I was just, like kind of exaggerating. I, you know, I meant to go back, <laughs> and he's forced to be tortured on the fucking coils forever. <laughs> you don't, you don't think Nico can get into the the. Isles of the Blessed or whatever the fuck, Elysium? I don't think that's how the, a, a promise on the river sticks works. I think you have to, like, drink fire water forever. Uh-huh. I assume. And so we- he, goes to, he goes to talk to the people who know about drinking fire water. Oh, God, you're right. We don't know, though. <laughs> We've never seen a river six promise broken still. One- Again, it's one of those things where we kind of, we need to see the consequences of this at some point. Maybe in Trials of Apollo. Anyway, <laughs> what do you think of Percy and the best future plans? This is genius. You can fuck up the end of your series as much as you like, as long as people can say, maybe it'll be fine in the next one. <laughs> oh, yeah. What do we think of Percy and Annabeth? Uh, this kind of feels like they're being written out of the series. Uh-huh. I mean, they kind of deserve it. <laughs> That's a way of phrasing that. What do you mean? Like in a good way, oh, right? Oh, okay, okay. They, I think you're like, yeah, they have this coming. <laughs> Those fuckers have this coming after. Uh, but they, they've earned their exit, haven't they? Percy was literally the main character, and then they had to go through Tartarus. This is true. I think that at this point, this is like, I'm sure they'll still be here, but I, I'm excited for a, a series where they are in the background. You know what I mean? 
this already kind of felt like a book where they were in the background. I don't think Percy really did anything significant. But like when he showed up, he had a funny clip for two. But you're right. Like this, this feels like a gentle transition away. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And not the gentle transition we're wanting to see. No. Uh, <laughs> girl Percy real to me in my heart. <laughs> but yeah, so they're they're planning on spending senior year together, college together. And then this this bit was interesting to me. They've talked to Raina and Frank and been given permission to live there as long as they want to. How did the how are they actually the head of the government there? Yeah, yeah, we've been over there. I think mean, they're elected by the Senate. <laughs> I guess so. But I guess it always felt it's, sort it's of It's a un- military hunter run by child soldiers. It's fucked. <laughs> I guess it always felt kind of unclear about how much we were joking about that. <laughs> like, if maybe... Like, <laughs> I they, wasn't. Like, if maybe they only presided over Camp Jupiter and not New Rome, but it seems like they are the president. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's uh, kind of fucked up that Percy's like, yeah, I'm going to move to the other side of the country and hasn't even interacted with his mom once in this series. Oh my god, you're right. He doesn't even <laughs> mention her. Wow, that's really sad. He's too high on life, and also... You haven't his... fucking seen Sally Jackson in these books. What the fuck? That's a disgrace. Sally Jackson <laughs> is like a shine of light in this series, and it... maybe that's why everything's fucked. <laughs> no Paul Blofus. What is this shit? God, I need them with their fucking assault... I need to, like... I want, like, just a scene of them, like, something bad to happen in New York and to see them run out the door with, like, hand grenades and they have to, like, be like, hey, hey, guys, it's okay, don't worry, you can go back inside. Man, I know we have been complaining about, like, the lack of urban fantasy stuff as this series has gone on. I do feel like that was kind of one of the things that really made the Battle of Manhattan work a lot better was, like, A, it taking place in that kind of urban setting and B, like, mortal characters showing up and, like, Percy's mom literally just having a fucking shotgun. Yeah. Nothing like that really happens in this one. No, and that's sad. Uh, fuck, there's a there's a fight between Mars and Ares Cab and about the best way to kill a Hydra. I don't really understand how there could be a fight about that. I guess they're like, do you do it the, the, the Hercules animated movie way where you cut off the heads over and over again until it's too heavy? Or do you, do you, do you just burn the stumps? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's amazing that there's a whole thing about a conflict between Ares and, uh, Ares and Mars Cab and, and fucking... Frank and Clarice don't get a look in on that at all. I would love for them to fight a little bit. I need them to interact at all, just because I think that Clarice would kick Frank's ass and it'd be funny. It would be awesome. Clarice would be like, oh, so I guess I'm Praetor now. (laughs) I know that I know that Frank can, like, you know, he can turn into different things, like he can turn into a dragon, uh, but Clarice has also killed a fucking dragon before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God, I I would love that. I need, like... Uh, God, I think there are so many things here. I think I'm being pulled in so many directions, but I keep saying, like, I want more time at camp. And this end of the book makes me want, like, a whole book of just, like, what happens when the two camps have to mingle for the first time, right? Please. Because that's what... That, maybe that's going to happen in Trials of Apollo, right? <laughs> but... It's, we need fuck, a fucking I, counter at this point. <laughs> I'll 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 put a little ding noise in every time. I don't know, um, <laughs> but I don't know, Jane. I'm not sure. P- yeah, Piper and Raina have a good ass conversation, though. 
It's nice to it's nice to after we've been told that these two are friends get a conversation which kind of brings that across. Yeah, I, I like at least it. we got one at all. No, I think unlike I, with Piper and Hazel. Yeah, that that's sad that we ended with no, none of that. But I I I think there was a little bit of setup here, and I I Piper like obviously has a crush on Reina. I think. I I was also kind of reading this. I don't think it'll happen, but I I, I hope so. I just, I don't think it'll happen either, but if it does, I would cheer and call Rick Riordan a hero and say I was wrong about Sea of Monsters. <laughs> I would say maybe, maybe you had some points back then because... I don't think, know. I don't think we can ever go that. We can say that we were maybe wrong about Heroes of Olympus. Yeah, you're right. Maybe Kane Chronicles is a little better than we gave it credit for, but I, th- I feel like Sea of Monsters is like original sin. If we admit to Sea of Monsters being good... Like if we if we go back on that, then we have to re-record the entire podcast. I mean, think about it. Sea of Monsters had a lot of Clarice in it. You know, I guess it did. <laughs> Maybe it would stop me. Stop me. Stop me. Ah, <laughs> uh, give it ten years. We'll be nostalgic and we'll make the Sea of Monsters was good. Actually, episode. Fuck. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I. But I. I think this this is good for like Reina's character. Just, like, this final note we end on of her, like, still worrying about what Venus said to her and, like, uh, being totally drained. She still had to put up this front this whole time, right? She didn't get to, like, let her hair down or anything at the end. She's still having to be the strong freighter. And Piper recognizes that and, you know, sort of relates to that in a way, using, like, oh, you know, it's so painful being famous. <laughs> it sucks so much that my dad is incredibly rich and has a stable source of work. But is very much like, oh, hey, Reyna, what was your relationship with your dad like? Uh, and <laughs> then... <laughs> oh, God. Oh. oh, God, I'm glad she didn't mention any of that. <laughs> but I, I guess I just like, I, I like, rec- like, pay for recognizing that in Reyna, because I think that, like, that person who is like always hiding her own pain from everyone while trying to support them is who Piper is too. Mm, definitely. So I think that is, even though we didn't see a lot of their interactions, this is a well-made connection. I think Rick Riordan's drawing yeah. some lines that I like. Yeah. And it's, it's nice that this is kind of taken as the opportunity to like resolve the shit that Venus said to Reyna. It's nice that something that was set up in this series actually pays off at the end. Yeah. Completely agreed. <laughs> What do you think of Jason and Piper's uh, sort of resolution here? Uh, this is nice. This is this is a nice enough ending for a romance that I've really not given a shit about throughout this entire series. Yeah, like, this well, is cute. Well, I like it. It's cute. I I think it's 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 no like Percy and Annabeth going into the lake, right? But absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, that feels a little repetitive. Like. Hmm. I feel like we already got the like we're having a fresh start. We're like uh, like moving on from our false memories, but the false to- memory shit hasn't come up in like four books. Yeah, uh, so to act like it's still been hanging over them, even though I kind of feel like they've already had their like the part where Jason was like, "Here's our new first kiss." I was just like, "No, what? What? You've you've kissed? <laughs> they, they've, they have kissed, I think, since then, right?" I don't remember that, but I surely, surely. It, it just feels at some point where one of them was like, "I'm gonna go on a mission and might die." You would do that. 
it just feels kind of strange. Like it feels like they're in like a like a hyper Christian relationship or something for them to have not kissed at this point. Like they've been leaving room for Zeus. They've been leaving room for fucking Deus. Oh, no, hang on. They've been leaving. They've been leaving room for Coach Hedge and then leaving room for Buford. You're right. There's no way they've kissed. They, they've had zero opportunity. Wait. Uh huh. Did Buford die? The oh, ship exploded. No. Oh god! Wait, I think we, I think we might have seen a bit where Buford like flew away. Oh god, I hope so. If Buford died, I, I just, I can't even accept that possibility. Fuck this series. <laughs> a character so important, he had his own setup short story before we even got into the main meat of this series. He was my favorite table. He's gone up to that big uh, lemon surface wash shop in the sky. <laughs> and they, it doesn't end with the kiss, so it ends with them telling stories about Leo. And I have kind of a theory that I want to say uh-huh. here that makes this all really work for me, actually. I think the specific like ending couplet of chapters... Uh-huh. It, it ends with, it might even be possible to tell a new story in which Leo was still out there. And we 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 go from that to the last chapter in which, you know, we get, you know, chapter 58, Leo. And that's sort of mm-hmm. the big reveal. Um, I think that this is, there are one of two things happening here. Mm-hmm. And I want you to tell me where you land on this. After that line, and after sort of the whole ending bit of Leo, Calypso, and Festus flying off together, and they keep talking about how they don't know where they're going, they're going nowhere, like, are they, I think either they have left the story insofar as, like, everyone else is part of this old story, and Leo, Calypso, and Festus are going to be part of the next story, or else they have, like, left like they are no long like they've earned their ending. Like they are no they no longer have to be part of the story of the Riordan verse. Like Leo and Calypso get to leave and win. I think there is absolutely no fucking way that Leo does not show up again later as a big reveal. You think so? That is in a continuing if this was like the the ending of the series, I could see that. But in like a serialized story like this, that is too juicy to leave on the table. I guess so. And honestly, I don't even hate that, but I I think what it is, I don't want Leo to come back to Camp Half-Blood at this point. I uh, yeah, no, I I would rather that Leo Leo got to like just be away from that shit. And I I guess I, we've sort of skipped to the end, but what do you think of this whole Leo chapter? Uh I I don't know about this. I feel like I I kind of had the impact of it really fucking undercut for myself. Uh-huh. Just because, like, while I was reading, doing the last set of readings, I, like, flipped forward to see how many pages I had left and saw Leo's name at the top of the fucking oh, page. Oh, Jane. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to happen. I guess not. But that was, that was a, that was a learning, le- that was a learning moment. You know not to do that now. In my defense, that's because this copy has, like, 50 more pages in the back of it for reasons we'll get into later. I fucking forgot but, like, about that. So I didn't know how much was actually left. Yeah, it's everyone keeps talking in these chapters about how sad they are that Leo's dead and that Leo's definitely dead. They yeah, really ke- do be protesting too much. And there are hints over and over again. Nico's like, "Well, it felt kind of weird, though. <laughs> like I, I've sensed death before, and it was weird, but he definitely did die." 
I think this is the best possible ending for Leo, probably. I think so. He got to do one last fucking bamboozle. (laughs) (laughs) I I do have a question about Leo. Yeah? He has been talking since Mark of Athena about how he's kind of worried that Nemesis is finally going to come back and exact a toll for that favor she did him. That's true. That, uh, that hasn't happened. Hmm. I know, I know that he kind of thought it had happened at the end of Mark of Athena, but then also in House of Hades, he keeps talking about how, like, mm, I'm not sure that was it. She might come back again. And then it hasn't come up since. This might be a Trials of Apollo. What if Leo fucking comes back and then dies in, tri- like, Trials of Apollo book three or something? Oh, God. I, I hope not. I, I kind of want to be like, oh, maybe it's because, you know, Nico... At, at the end, he kind of chooses love over revenge. He goes to see Calypso, and that's Leo. why Nemesis isn't... It, yeah, if that's why Leo fucking isn't... Uh, doesn't have a Nemesis comeback. But also, during that last fight with Guy, he is very definitely fighting for revenge because of that thing he shouts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I... Yeah, I doubt this is the end for Leo, but I I think that what Rick Riordan does do a good job of is just making him feel like he's this is a better resolution than him just dying. I Yeah, definitely. Like th- this is done well enough that I don't necessarily feel cheated out of uh like the prophecy or what have you. Yeah, no, definitely. And the Calypso-Leo dynamic is always good, but I think I'm realizing that it is just, like, also the exact same. It's also the Will-Nico dynamic is also the Annabeth-Percy dynamic. I think this might just be, like, the only type of relationship that Rick Ryden knows how to write. It's possible. Uh, he And he, he gives them all their own special flavor. But, yeah, it, it's true. That is the only one he can write, seemingly. Okay goofy guy and girl slash other guy who does the DreamWorks eyebrow at them whenever they do something goofy. Piper and Jason almost aren't that. and But we've also written fan fiction about them breaking up in college, so <laughs> we haven't done that for any of the others. <laughs> God, I also got, so just to just kind of circle back to Piper and Jason, man, the, the whole thing that Piper had about I guess it was kind of resolved the thing that Piper had about oh Jason's kind of too soldier brain to maybe be in a relationship with, and kind of Jason's arc has been about kind of overcoming that in this book. But I also feel like this is not something he's ever talked to Piper about. I feel like it's not something that Piper has had time to like go over in her own head. If we're talking about communication, I think these two are still failing. Yep. <laughs> I, I've, I'm still writing that fan fiction. Like I, I've not given up on it. Uh, I. I think that this is, they had a really sweet sort of end note here. It doesn't feel like the end because I think it's very like, I don't know. I think that like they're doing their new first kiss and Piper is still mostly just thinking about Leo being dead is an intentional choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I think like, I don't, I don't, I, I think they've got ruffles. I think there are ridges in their relationship. Yeah, I think that there's, there was room for this to go wrong, and I think it'd be kind of funny if it did. It'd be funny, and also, I don't know, they, they can't all last forever. They, they can't, yeah, you, you can't lock all the characters into their relationships when they're fucking 15 and then just keep them going like that forever. This is, where this is supposed to be the podcast where, you're, where we are like, is this better than Harry Potter? And if it did that, it would not be better than <laughs> Harry Potter. God, it's been, it's been a hot minute since we even talked about that. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. At the end of the day, Blood of Olympus was, like, fine. Uh, yeah, it was whatever. 
I don't think it's as catastrophic as Son of Neptune, but like this is definitely one of the weaker ones in the series. I, I think that Rick Riordan made some good choices here. I think that it was a smart move to make the it was a smart move to make the uh, Nico and Reina parts good. Uh, uh-huh. uh and it, he did a good he did a good job deciding to do that. A smart move would be making all the parts good, but you know, you can't can't get everything. No, sometimes you make mistakes, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Trials of Apollo is not the book we're doing next. Next episode, in fact, we're going to sort of go over the Heroes of Olympus as a whole, finally award some camp beads, maybe, you know, to finish out. And then after that, what was it we're doing after that, Jane? Uh, we'll be doing, I think, Demigods and Magicians, right? That, that's right. And then after that, well, if you understand how the Riordanverse works, you probably know what we're doing <laughs> after that. Uh-huh. Uh, but also look out for some special moonshot announcements as to what we'll be doing next. Keep your eyes peeled. Oh, uh, also next week, uh, we'll be doing, we're going we're gonna to be doing lots of exciting stuff. We'll be like going over the series and like talking about which of the books were good and which were bad and giving like character awards and stuff. Uh, we will also be uh, discussing the secret alternate ending of the Heroes of Olympus series. I have no fucking idea what's going to happen with this, so I'm excited. <laughs> To me, this is a shrieking. Sh- this is just a bit that happened on the shrieking shack. I didn't think it could be real. Uh, it is real. <laughs> this is what the last fifty pages of my fucking book are. That's really funny. <laughs> hey, uh, y- you like that, right? Oh, you thought it was okay. All right. Well, here's this one. <laughs> I refuse to elaborate on what this could possibly mean, other than to say that I am not lying to you. All right. Well. I think that's it for us today. Our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can fuck me. We have to do not sisset. We have to do not sisset. We can't forget for, forget it in the last episode of the series. I'm gonna... I have to give it to Piper here. The vibes are strong <laughs> with Reyna. Uh, but, yeah, well, yeah, but no demigod's gonna heal Reyna's heart is the thing. So can this can this really happen? And Maybe Aphrodite's homophobic. <laughs> she was really behind kicking apollo out off olympus <laughs> yeah she was really i mean we saw her dancing with airy with mars in the fucking uh confederate uniform no you know what that's true she probably is homophobic jesus christ you know i have a i have an i have another honorary one too uh baby chuck Baby Chuck. Let's let's indoctrinate the youth. Uh, this baby is going to be gay one day. Uh, I th- I think uh, Baby Chuck is, for one reason or another, gonna change his name. Uh huh. <laughs> oh Lord. Any any nomination from you, Jane? I took two of the possible candidates, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, I mean, one of them I would not have considered in a million years, so don't worry about it. Yeah, Piper's Piper's a pretty pretty much a long shot. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, Come on, final one. I I am gonna I'm gonna give it to uh, Drew Tanaka. Okay, the uh, a Drew so nice we forgot to even name her once in the summary or the discussion. <laughs> she crops up. She crops up briefly here, fresh off her shitty cameo in Kane Chronicles. Uh, I will say that she is bullying the other nerdy girl in Aphrodite Cabin that we also see in Kane Chronicles, and not at all in this series. Uh, because she has a crush on her. Okay, okay, yeah, that's legit. That's all I got. All right, and with it's that, it's fucked up. That 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 that's it. We're done. No more heroes of Olympus. Yeah.
Yeah, that is fucked up. It's been oh, over man. a year. Over half our podcast. We've never not been... I don't think we've ever not been doing Heroes of Olympus while being a part of Moonshot. No, that's true. We... Yeah, because, like, the, the point where it jumps over to the... Yeah. Yeah, I think it was around the same time that we started Heroes of Olympus. That's fucked. Wow. Insane. Well, thanks. thank you all for doing this, but we're not done yet. We have another episode or two. Uh, I guess just an episode. But, you know, still, thank you. Thank you for sticking with us through these five fucking paving slabs of books. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, from now on, they're shorter and... Our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at Osiriumix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore N on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find that at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. We are on Twitter, co-host Tumblr, at UnwiseGirls, where you can find links to our social medias, our Discord channel, our email. You can get visual companions to episodes when called for, and you can get updates as to when episodes come out or don't come out, as is sometimes the case when one of us is hit by a truck (laughs) or uh, assassinated by some sort of rare uh, cyborg monkey or anything like that. Damn, the, the fucking Coach Hedge 2010 humor is really infecting you. (laughs) <laughs> i guess so um, and i i was he- like hearing that in my brain as like a presidential bid like coach hedge 2010 uh anyway um you can support us by telling a friend about us leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice i guess it'd probably be more like a senate bid maybe uh and uh you can monetarily support us by going to patreon.com slash unwisegirls where for a dollar a month you can get the discord role of camp counselor for three dollars a month you can get the discord role of friend of bacchus as well as all of our bonus content uh we've not updated since last week because jacqueline was sick so the latest episode is still just us talking about uh fucking the the candy root in the homestuck epilogues and the horrible, horrible clown dynamics in that. You can also get a comprehensive dis- uh, series of episodes about black sales, uh, a full coverage of Homestuck, and so much more. Also, for $5 a month, you can get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every single episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. Adaptations. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good, faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. Check out episode one, coming to a podcatcher near you on February 15th.